If you enjoy the following podcast, please consider supporting the Stream Grace Network. Just visit streamgrace.com slash support. Hello and welcome to my corner of the digital universe. Prepare to dive deep, get real, get close, and find out entirely too much about people you likely don't even know. I am Jeremy Griffin, and these are my conversations. So grab a coffee and get comfortable. Here we go. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by the ampersand. I mean, what a cool squiggly line that can take the place of three traditional letters. I mean, I absolutely love it. I love the ampersand. Lori, how do you feel about the ampersand? It's hard to draw. It is kind of hard to do, isn't it? It's fun to type. Yeah. So today's guest is wife, mother, and defender of the universe, Lori Evans. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I'm awesome. I don't know if that's your actual title, but I felt like it could be. Mm, I don't know that I have an actual title. Miss Lori, the name my mama gave me. That's a good one. That's a good one. Defender of the Universe has a lot of um, obligation attached to it. Yes. I try to avoid obligations as often as possible. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to project them on you as often as okay. possible. And that's probably your superpower right there. Maybe. As a Defender of the Universe, like to, to deflect yes. all of the obligations. Deflector. Master deflector. <laughs> so tell me about this. What, what has been... Um, How's your life been most impacted and, and infected by the plague of 2020? Uh, man, it's uh, watching the fear take over my loved ones. Mm. Um, it hasn't affected me and my family really um, directly, other than now I have to wear a mask to the grocery store. Um, mm-hmm. But aside from that, our business is such a small business that that uh, the mask mandates don't affect us because we can practice social distancing within our business. Um, the kids are still going to school. Granted, it's two days a week instead of five days a week. Mm-hmm. But overall, it, directly, it really hasn't affected us. But it has it has definitely affected my immediate family, my or you know outside of my home. Yeah. So so the kids going to school two days a week. They're they're in the Choctaw School District, yes, right? Correct. So my child is also in that school district, and we're just doing the whole hundred percent distant learning thing. I almost now rather that we were doing that because my girls, we have a sophomore and a, and a um, freshman girls, one's in cheer, one's in band. So the cheerleader goes to school five days a week anyway. Oh, she has wow. cheer practice Monday through Friday gotcha. every morning for first hour. And then the, the band, the band girl, band nerd, the <laughs> saxophonist, um, she has band practice Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So she's wow. still going to school we're having to try to figure out how to get them to school at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and pick them back up at nine fifteen or nine twenty. Right. On those two days. So. The logistics. This is the thing I think, um, you know, it's not lost on people, but um, amidst all this school change thing, the logistics for parents is off the chart. Yes. Terrible. Yes, it is. I mean, and honestly, the reason we went 100 percent distant learning was uh, not remotely because we were concerned about the plague. Um, it was because. I just didn't have any confidence that we would make it to the year 2021 where something wasn't going to change about his right. schedule anyway. And to me, if I was able to, and, and and part of it was logistically, I was kind of able to pull that off. And so it was like, well, I'll just do this. And if we make it, you know, another school year, 
maybe I'll have more confidence the following year. Right. For I mean, for me, it, it would be easier if we would have done the whole distance learning thing, mm. because at least then you get to manage your time. Right. As opposed to trying to rearrange your entire schedule to meet the time that, that the school has has provided. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I will say this, and and this is not a reflection on the teachers that I've dealt with, but the uh, man having to, to navigate the world of content for them has been challenging for me. It's insane. You know, here's the thing. I consider myself a reasonably intelligent guy when it comes to tech, especially. Right. If I'm struggling, I'm, I mean, I'm concerned for others. Yeah. Well, my, um, our, our ninth grader or freshman, she is in a pre, I mean, a, um, an AP algebra class. And one of the first things they learned, and I can't, I wish I could remember the name of it, but literally the symbols that were used for the functions instead of plus and minus, it was a circle with a cross in the middle of it. Um, and that's a function, but it is considered a, a non-standard operation. That's what it was. Non-standard oh, yeah. operation. I've heard that word before. I literally phrase. had to Google it. Yeah. Um, I was valedictorian in high school. Like I don't have a problem doing math. Um, I had to Google it and I'm like, this is the, I've never seen this in my entire life. I have an MBA. I I mean, I'm educated and I've never, ever seen this. Um, so yeah, I'm like, I just learned something like this is crazy. My issue is I've got a a nine year old and I am able to follow his content. All right. Um, but I'm having, like, he has to do this test where he has to answer math questions really quick. Well, like, he has the answer, but typing it out in time right. is the challenge. And so I'm like, okay, well, can I help with that? Like, if he says the answer and I can type it. And then I'm like, I can't, I don't know if that's okay. Like, do they yeah, account for that? You know, so so I haven't been doing it. I thought, well, if he was in school, I assumed he would be doing the same kind of thing. But, like... The challenge for me is, I'm, or I say challenge, he's he's doing the basic stuff, right? So it's uh, 10 plus whatever, 9 plus whatever, 8 plus whatever, single digits. And so I'm just teaching him the tricks to add. He's really quick, right? 10 plus 7, 17. Then I go 9 plus 7. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm like, all right, listen. I said, you know, how, how do you know 10 plus 7, 7 is 17 so fast? And he's like, well, I just add the 1. I said, okay, now just subtract 1. Just blows his mind. Right. <laughs> if you see a nine, treat it just like the 10 Let's minus one. one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he's, it took him a second to figure that out. And he's like, oh, and then he got fast. Yep. So then today it was, what happens when there's an eight? Right. So that's <laughs> part of that is they, they don't understand the why right. behind why it is the way it is. Like they just know it by memory mm. or they know the trick or whatever instead right. of why it is what it is in order to extrapolate that. And, and change their answer based upon a different variable. So. Man, see, you, you put that so perfectly. Because I think my challenge, honestly, is I, I love the why. The right. why is, drives every single thing I do in life. Because right. um, if I don't have an answer to that, I just, I'm not going to move. I don't care, right. right? It's like, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that this is, you know, my criticism of education uh, today, and, and, and I don't know if this is global or what, but my criticism is, is that we have created uh, average is now our goal. Right. And we want people to be average. And so when they stick out in a certain area, if it were me and I could just wave a wand, I would take what people excel at. And that's where I'd have them spending their time. Yes. It's like my middle son is in the Air Force as, as a linguist. And so he has spent the last 16 months, I think, learning one language five hours a day. And 
he knew how to write the language within two weeks. Wow. And it was Pashto. It's it's Cyrillic alphabet or a version of that. Not Cyrillic. I think that's uh, Russian. Anyway, it's it's got 120 something characters. So that word Pashto, that's a language? Yes. Wow. Yes, it's Afghanistan, wow. um, the hill language of Afghanistan. Wow. But he, think about that. In two weeks, they could read and write the language. Now, they didn't know what the words were. Right. But they knew how to sound them out, say them. And, and that was just five hours a day for two weeks. Wow. Three weeks, whatever I said. Um, now, it took him the rest of that 16 months. And he's still, right now, he's learning dialects um, to get the vocabulary. Right. <laughs> well, that's insane. It really is. But I think, you know, that structure, that model, um, man, we would have some extraordinary kids because if they were able to focus on what they're good at, instead what we do is, okay, you suck at this. So let's work on that. So right. you're, you're better, so you're at, better at that. And then all the other things that they're talented at, like they oh, don't get, they don't work on it. Yeah. They you're don't good at it. Them. Yeah. There's a great book. Um, I can't remember who wrote it, but, um, it was the same group I believe that did strength finders. I don't know if you're familiar with that, mm-hmm. but anyway, I am. Yeah. so soar with your strengths was the book that I read. Right. And, uh, the, the thing I remember the most from it is it talked about this world championship ping pong player. And, uh, they asked him, like he didn't have a backhand. And so they said, you know, why don't you learn this backhand? And he said, well, he's the champion. <laughs> right. Why? Why is he going to learn the backhand? Yeah. He's going to work on his forehand and he's going to be amazing at that. And I, yep. yeah, it's a great lesson. There's a, there's a high school wrestler that actually our oldest son, he's 21, uh, well, almost 21. When he wrestled at Choctaw, there was a kid in his, in his class. And he always did this move called the fireman. And he was a state champion two or three years out of his high school. Um, but that's the only movie ever used. And people hmm. are like, why don't you learn? Like, why don't you expand? And which he knew a few other ones, you know, yeah. but why? Like he is so good at that one move. Like what's, why not let him like be the best at it right. and take down every single kid with the same move? Like who says you got to use all these other ones? Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks for joining us on today's conversation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's good stuff. Um, but yes, we are here today. I want to talk about you. I want to learn more about you. Um, so we interviewed your husband, Travis. Yes. He was on the show uh, as this airs probably six weeks ago or something. Um, I lose total track, so yeah, I have no idea. I can't imagine. Um, but that was a great conversation. Uh, Can Help Wellness is your business. Yes. And uh, that's a, that's its own thing. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But uh, I want to start off uh you you touched on a couple things already and i want to dive into those but um where did you grow up i grew up in hara oklahoma hara oklahoma that is a booming metropolis yes i remember when i was in third grade we had i think it was third grade we had a huge celebration because they had a town charter (laughs) and it's a big party since become a city right um, yeah when i was in high school the city of hara now yeah um yeah so uh for those who are in houston and in Pennsylvania, who don't know about this, just know small town, small town, small town, super small town. Uh, and Travis grew up in Choctaw, neighboring yes, towns, neighboring towns. Uh, never really a rivalry, right? I mean, sort no, of, but not like ma- really. No, because the school systems were there were such different sizes. Yeah. Choctaw was always a couple of classes bigger. Yeah. So there. Was so I, yeah, because I, I I never really heard of any. I, I think we kind of like each other. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, you all go to river, go to the river together and hang out. Exactly. What do, you, what do you do through it? Well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, that. yeah. I don't know. I never went. <laughs> there you go. So um, so what were you like when you were a kid? 
um, people pleaser. What do you like now? I'm still a people pleaser. (laughs) I'm just a, um, can you call a recovering? Yeah, I was about to say a recovering people pleaser. Like I recognize it, I identify it, and I struggle with it still. But it's a lot easier to rein it in and recognize when it's it's me trying to please people versus doing what's right. Sure. Um, So, so so what what that look like as a child? Um, never going to the river because I might upset (laughs) my mom. Uh, Always, you know, I was a star student. I was in Scholastic Meets, the um, Scholastic team. I played softball, soccer, basketball, softball. I just mm-hmm. did everything the all-American girl is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, n- never got in trouble. Hmm. Like, if I got, I, I remember got, I got in trouble when I was in third grade because I shaved my legs because. I wasn't supposed in to yet. Grade. I was too gotcha. young. And so like, I was like, li- wait a minute. No, That's no, no. a good thing. Literally, I because so my family was a little hay on the hairy side and a kid <laughs> made fun of me on the bus because I wore shorts and I had hairy legs. And I, I went home and I asked my mom if I could shave my legs. And she said no. And I did it anyway. Oh, wow. Like those are the things that got me in trouble. Mm-hmm. Like the, really shaving your legs got, you know, so I was disobedient to my mom in, in a couple of instances. Um, but they were generally really minor. I never, I never went and partied. I never did anything. Like I always did what I thought was expected of me. Mm-hmm. Was there a time in your life and we don't have to dive into it yet because we will, but was there a time in your life where that shifted, where you mm-hmm. did do a bunch of things that you weren't supposed to? Yeah. Besides yeah. Travis, like marrying him and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It actually ended up being bet- like I've been married. I was married before and it was between um, my divorce and meeting Travis. Gotcha. Yep. So I was a full blown adult knowing better. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You're consciously making those yes, decisions. Exactly. That's fantastic. So, um, in your childhood in general, um, what, is there a specific moment that just really sticks out to you that was very impactful mm. or it sticks out to you and wasn't very impactful, which would be weird, but I don't think so. When I was, when I was younger, as a teenager, uh, my freshman year in college, when my parents split, mm. um, and that I didn't even re- like, that was just hard because you know my parents were married for twenty four or twenty five years, and um, just one day, boom, my my dad's moving out, and we didn't really have a lot of there was no warning signs mm. or you know but he was an over the road truck driver so he had his own life outside of our home that we never knew anything about anyway um so looking back as an adult and going through a divorce myself now i i there's like the, all the signs were there yeah just uh but that had a huge impact on me because i was with my mom every day and i witnessed what happened my mom's side of it mm-hmm. and so i had all this animosity towards my dad for so stinking long um and it wasn't again until i went through a divorce where i was like this is what my dad was experiencing like mm. i got to finally see my dad's side of that and realize this wasn't just my dad having like leaving my mom like that yeah. wasn't really what this was about like there was so much stuff leading up to that so that that had a huge impact on me though like like my identity, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a, I've noticed, I don't know if this is like factual, but, um, you know, growing up for, and, and we're roughly the same age, mm-hmm. right? I think so. Um, so growing up, you know, in the eighties, you're, you're going through life. There's a lot of 
people are getting divorced more frequently, but it's kind of a new thing. Like kind of the seventies and eighties started just big thing about yeah. separations. And, uh, you know, I, when I look at today's world, what was happening then is people would get married and then, you know, three, four years later, it wasn't like 25 years. That was right. rare. Yeah. And so when it's something that's like that long, back then it felt like there was a really clear reason. Like you could look at it. It wasn't just irreconcilable differences. Right. It was it was a very clear like an affair or um, an abuse of some sort, you know, something like that. So what I'm noticing more today, and this is coming from a, a guy who's done counseling, you know, in the church setting, is that people are just, you know, they're done. Yep. It's not a thing. And and so I have an opinion about why that is, but what do you think about that? Well, being in that spot myself, yeah. um, that's how it was with my first marriage. Mm. Is just how long were you married in your first 12 marriage? Twelve years. Okay. Um so like just completely open, honest and vulnerable. Which I really appreciate your <laughs> um, willingness for that. There so someone called me I guess we'd been married John and I his name's John. We had been married about twelve years and someone from high school had called me. Hadn't talked to him since since high school. We never dated or anything. Like it was wasn't ever any any romantic moment in high school. Um, and he literally called and was like, "Hey, I got your number from so and so at a basketball game." I'm like, "Oh, cool. How are you?" And he's like, "Are you married?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Are you happy?" Oh man. And I didn't I didn't have a defense to like I like mm. well no like in that moment no I wasn't happy I was mad at my husband for whatever reason you know mm-hmm. but that that's the seed that was planted because I didn't. I didn't value my marriage enough to have set up blocks against that. And that was the downward spiral from that point that I, I told myself I wasn't happy. Mm. So then I'm going to make it true. And then I'm not, then I'm going to get divorced. And that's literally what happened. Wow. So, and I think that, I think that's what happens. That's commonplace, isn't it? Yes. I think that's what happened. And I've had a conversation with someone once before about, um, about people that have affairs in the workplace about how they don't set up guards beforehand like right. you can't wait until after you've developed a relationship with um a you know a, a co-worker of the opposite sex you have to set up the guards beforehand mm-hmm. because once once the relationship has developed most of the time you can't you can't stop it yeah you you can't rationally say oh wait i need to back out of this you, you just don't do it mm. um and so i think that's part of the thing is like we don't we don't cherish the the union of a marriage enough to make sure that we have set up guards mm-hmm. um, to prevent things like that from happening. Well, ultimately, that question too: Are you happy? I mean, I I haven't heard that because nobody hits on me. But <laughs> <laughs> but my wife had told me uh, some like, um, and she she it's weird. And this I don't even know what to think about this. It frustrates me not from a jealousy standpoint, but from a how do you approach a stranger like this standpoint? But she'll get this in a parking lot, you know, at, at the grocery Mm -hmm. store. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. (laughs) But literally they'll ask, are you married? And ask that follow up question. Yes. Well, at the root of that question is pure selfishness. Yes. Right. And so obviously on the other person's end, it's just ridiculous. But on, you know, when she answers that question, what, what does her happiness have to do with it? And I know there's probably a lot of people listening that are going to say, well, yeah, your happiness has everything to do with right. your marriage. Well, okay, but but marriage is a contract. It's a yes. it's an oath. It's it's, it's heavy, right? Yeah. And so, if I'm not happy, that doesn't mean I get out of the oath, right? I ask, why am I not happy? Right. I so. never once told my husband I wasn't happy. Yeah. Ever. See? Wow. People pleasers. Yes. Mm. Yep. 
It's interesting. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. this was, you know, I, I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> most, most people don't, but, but that's, I mean, I that's where my heart before, is. But that, yeah. That's really where, where even Travis and me both, like there was a time where we thought we were going to get on stage and minister to blended families on how you make yeah. it work, how you forgive your spouse. If your ex cheated on you and that's, that's what got you divorced, like whatever it is, like how do you forgive your spouse and move forward with a blended family and have a relationship with your, with your ex. Um, we've been blessed enough to, to have a really good relationship with my ex-husband and Travis's ex-wife, um, and their current spouses as well. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been good. That's a testament. It's, it, it took a lot to get there, but, but we're there and I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. I I've, I've not been in that situation. Um, and so when people ask me about blended families, I'm like, well, I mean, I can just give you philosophy and theory. (laughs) I don't know, but man, I'm impressed. What I get most impressed with is how I've seen men, of course, this is from my perspective, but how I've seen men embrace the children and they're truly their own. Yeah. I am so impressed with that. That's funny you say that. There's, there's people that go to church with us that still have no idea whose kids are whose because Mm -hmm. Travis and I don't have any kids together. Um, I brought, came into the marriage with a 10 year old son and a, a four year old daughter and Travis had an eight year old son and a three year old daughter. People have no idea whose kid that's, belongs to who. That's awesome. Yeah. They're like, okay, which, which one, which one came with you and which one came with Travis? And <laughs> I'm like, yeah. But, but that's a testament too. like, we both own all four of our kids, yeah. you know? So man, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. So I want to back up. Uh, let's go back to college. So where'd you go to school? Uh, University of Oklahoma. Boomer. Yes, Sooner. Thank you. Um, I had somebody in here yesterday that did a hook 'em horns. And ah. Yeah. And it I wasn't hope, even, it wasn't. You're even, not putting them on air, are you? Well, listen, here's the funny thing. <laughs> Just kidding. They didn't say it. Yeah. I had to call it out because I'm like, why are you doing that right now yeah. with me in this room? But in fairness, it was, it was more of a, an illustration as to understanding. He was talking about Austin and how I would probably feel about Austin. Right. He has no allegiance to any place in Oklahoma or Texas, so it's all right. I forgive you, Mark, <laughs> if you're listening to this. I forgive you. That's awesome. <laughs> but um, so you went to school there. What was your intent? What did you want to do? Oh gosh. And I say um, what you wanted to do because how many people do what they want right. to do? Right. So my uh, first semester, I was going to be an architect because I really, really liked really cool houses and buildings, and so um, I flunked nine hours my yeah valedictorian in high school how did you deal with that um you know I I was a people pleaser and if you know people pleasers whenever things like that happen they always deflect it it was an excuse Mm. I worked too many hours um and I did work a lot of hours but that's not why I didn't go to class I didn't go to class because I didn't know that you had to be able to draw (laughs) to be an architect I mean serious had to learn CAD you have to learn CAD like that's yeah, because I was going to do that I don't, for a while. I loved those things. I I don't like computers. I can type. See, it's my I mechanical can, pencil. Yeah, no. I can type and I can surf the internet and check my email. Like I'm not I'm not a computer. I, since then, by the way, I have taught myself Adobe Illustrator and I am a pro at Adobe Illustrator. Now that's strong. Yes, but Good job. But it, it was it was like Greek to me. Mm-hmm. Like and and I hated drawing. I didn't know how to draw. I remember our final exam was you had to. You had to create a an environment for a bird that he gave you, like he, he assigned you a specific bird, and you had to go research it, and you had to build a habitat for it. Wow. Yeah, I didn't do it. Well, I was going <laughs> to say what was your bird, but I guess it's totally. I irrelevant. don't even remember, but I do remember that lived in marshes, and it lived on a nest, like a dwelling 
on the ground, not in this. That's all I remember. I just imagine you researching it and like, okay, you like, lost me at Marsh. If I could like, have I'm written out. the paper about it, I'm like, <laughs> yes, sign me up. I can tell you all the things there is to tell you, but to build an environment. So after the first semester, I'm like, I can't do this. So then I'm pre-physical therapy. And then while I'm pre-physical therapy, they change it from a four-year degree to a five-year degree. I'm like, I'm out. Mm. Now it's a master's program. And so I'm like, I'm, I don't, I like school, but I'm ready to get on with my life. But after that, I had moved in with my high school boyfriend and um, I didn't go back to school. And so lost my scholarship because I didn't go back to school. Because when you're on probation, you have you have one semester to get your grades back up to keep your keep your scholarship. But I just didn't go back to school. And I didn't go to school until after I married my husband, uh, my first husband, John. And um, right after I got married, I started back up. So I ended up ultimately getting a degree in criminology. Okay. Yeah. So I really thought I wanted to be an FBI agent. So I mean, I, I see it's a very logical move to me <laughs> to go from architect <laughs> to physical therapy to criminology. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. of course. Which, that's, where all, the, that's where they all start. Exactly. So like the degree, it was so fun though. The class, there's so many sociology classes and I love sociology. There was a sociology of aging. There was white collar crime, like super cool classes that yeah. I got to take. I did my pro- my um, internship at the probation and parole office. I got to monitor men as they come in for a UA. It was great. Wow. Yeah. So because they always had to come in, they pay their dues mm-hmm. and they have to, they have, have to pass a drug test every month. So That's, that was my job. Wow. Yeah. Got a college degree for that. Yep. That's cool. Yep. Missed out on that myself. Yeah. Then I, then I went to work at a pet store in Crossroads Mall. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. I'm sorry. I wasn't yeah. ready for that yeah. statement. Yeah. Which I actually love. Was, uh, yeah. What pet? Okay. Uh, Crossroads The Mall? only pet store. I was going to say, never Mall, mind. Yeah. yeah. So, That's actually where I met my husband, John. Okay. Yeah. And I worked mm. there. Yeah. For a while. I mean, I've done it all. That suits you for a career in the CIA. Yeah. Just so you know. I've done at, like real estate, life insurance, investment sales. No, no. Okay, let me ask you. When you when you went back and finished your degree, was it at OU still? No. Well, yes, yeah. yeah. So I got my criminology degree from OU. Yeah, and okay. then I got my MBA MBA at Oklahoma Christian. And so your your plan for the criminology degree? Mm-hmm. What was your plan for it? To get a degree. That's it. That, okay. That's so you're like, just interested in yeah, it. Yeah. Like. Gotcha. Yeah. I just. That's, found you it know cool. what? Can I just say, love that. Yeah. I love that reason. Well, you know, you're supposed to go to school and then get a degree like that's what you're supposed to do and that's what i did and but i I mean you know that's the thing like when i ask okay so here's another fundamental problem with america because we're just going to solve all these problems today let's do it all right so to me um like when my middle son he's like he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life my older son he wants to be a worship leader he wanted to be a worship leader when he's five years old you know, those I've are the f- ones that know when they're five yeah. and they want to be a firefighter. They still want to be a firefighter exactly. when they get out of school. Yeah. And and I'm like, I've been trying to talk him out of it for 18 years or However whatever, many. whatever the math is. Yeah. So my middle son didn't know what he wanted to do. And so um, I, I said, well, why don't you look at going to the military? Because I said, then you, you can do a bunch of things. And it's like a turnkey job. Like you have a job. If you want to have one forever, you can, whatever. Plus, he he didn't want to think about stuff. It's like, tell me what I need to do. That's it. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, what you're describing, I've heard of this place. I've not been, right? <laughs> but I've heard there's a there's a somebody hiring called yeah. the Air Force. Yeah. Um. Uh. Anyway, what I was what I was saying about that? So the whole thing was, he said he wanted to go to. When I said that, he's like, well, maybe I'll just go to college. And I said, well, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know. 
Well, mm. I'm not going to pay for that. Mm-mm. I mean, yeah, let's let's get a plan. But the whole thing is, I literally I've only known one person. I think, well, maybe two that went to school for their degree and did what their degree was relevant in. You know, one yep. was one was in architecture engineering, and the other was a doctor. And okay, good on you. And I'm not down on school, but I think the thing is, know why you're going. Right. And and that's why I like that answer. If if you're interested in a thing, then yeah, study yeah. that thing. Because I actually, I, I come from the, the world that believes, I mean, if you are interested in something, you love something, you're going to probably be good at it by accident. Right. And so, yeah, start down that road. Because, you know, how many people say, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to um, do title and escrow work for aircrafts. Man, that's really what I want to do when I grow up. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows that's a job. That's what I was going to say. No one even knows that's a thing. Right. They're like, what's title and escrow for airplanes? Exactly. And my wife's been doing it for 20-something years. Um, so, yeah, it's just she didn't grow up to do that. But here's the cool thing. Um, you know, so many people, too, this is what I hear, the the 26-year-olds, like whatever that is. I don't even think that's millennials anymore. I think that's I don't know. I never group. know. I don't know any of their names. I don't either. Their titles, whatever. I certainly don't know where they stop and start. Right. <laughs> but I do know that there's a pressure today on graduating students. There, there's always been a pressure, but there's a next level pressure. Because to me, the pressure isn't figure out uh, what you're going to do. It's like whatever you do better make an impact. Like it's got to change the world. Right. Well, that's that's a tall order. Well, if you think about like think about the number of people that come to mind when you say who has changed the world. How many of them have a college degree? None. Exactly. None. Exactly. None. Yeah. No, this is something that like Travis and I have always been proponents of college, like, because that's what we were fed. Yeah. You know, and then as we've gotten older, like, why? Mm -hmm. These kids don't know what they want to be. And what, like, we have one son that's a plumber and one son that's an electrician. Awesome. Yeah. And always have it. And they both, they both know that there might be a day that they figure out they want to do something different and they'll go to school to do it. Right. But they have no idea what they really want to be when they grow up. Right. And they're like, why do I want to go to school? I, I personally have a friend that was in her fifth year of medical school. Like she's already got her bachelor, her undergrad, and she's in her first year of graduate school to become a doctor. And she realized this is not what she wants to be. Hmm. She came to work with me as a landman. Hmm. And that's, that's what she did until she's now, she stays at home with her precious babies in Tulsa. Um, awesome. Yes. Yeah, so, but that's what, ha- that's what we've done. That's what we've, we've conditioned our kids to believe that that's the only goal. That's the only route to success. Like you have to get a college degree to become successful and that's hogwash. Yeah. No. In fact, it can lead down the other path really yes, fast. Yes. Because then you're, you know, I think she, in her case, I think she was able to pay for, for school for the most part. But most of us can't. Travis and I still have student loan debt. Wow. And we graduated eons ago. Hmm. Um, I don't I don't want to do that to my kids. I, right. Like, don't go to school and burden yourself with debt because you might have a degree, but you're likely going to get a job paying thirty-five dollars or $45,000 a year. And that is not enough to pay student loans hmm. and a car payment and a house payment. Yeah. It's just not. Well, and I think that's... I, I don't know why I came to this conclusion, partly because I probably didn't like school and so I was looking for any legitimate excuse. But um, I had a, a scholarship to sing mm-hmm. in college. and But I also had a, uh, an opportunity to do what I wanted to do, which was lead worship. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, why am I going to go to school when I have what I want to do is standing right, right in front of me? And so I 
I had, re, you know, I had people in my family that thought I was crazy because I would have been the first of my generation to go to college, to college. Uh, out of like 18 cousins or something. Wow. And so I, I said, well, here's the thing. So let's say I go to college. I just looked at the workforce and I just thought practically if I'm, if I'm hiring somebody, and I was only 17 in this conversation, but if I'm going to hire somebody, whatever, either hire someone fresh out of college or four years experience. Exactly. And as I've gotten older, whether I was motivated by the right thing or not at that time, mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, I absolutely know the answer to that right. question. And uh, that's what's happened with my oldest son. Started working when he was 16 and worked at banks when he got out of uh, out of high school. And that's his situation. He's got a lot more experience than the average person. Right. And uh, and he gets a lot of favor for it. So, um, man. We, we need to create a podcast where we can talk about these things. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So you graduated. And you're a criminologist. Right. Um, and okay. So let's talk about this time after uh, your divorce from John. Let's talk about uh, well, crazy Well, for Lori. one, I was, I was working. So I, tra- I came from oil and gas and I was a landman at this time. And I was independent landman, independent contractor, which means I generally worked in courthouses. And so it would just depend on where, where that the job took me at that time. And so I was living with my mother, um, with, and my two kids were going back and forth between, um, my ex-husband and me. And I was going, I was working out of Woodward. So Mm. there's a little bitty courthouse about 30 miles Southwest of Woodward. And so I was driving to Woodward Monday through Friday and, um, I don't know how much you know about the oil and gas industry, but it is predominantly male um, dominated, even in our, even in in our little niche that we were doing. And so it was me and another friend and we, we partied every night. Like Mm. we got the courthouse closes at four o'clock and you go back to the hotel and one of the hotels there is uh, it's been around forever and they have the manager special every single night from four to six. You just come and you drink free cocktails. Um, and there was a club right around the corner and you go there and you dance, dance the night away. And, um, I did that at like, I don't know, several, several months until, and then, then wrestling started little league wrestling. So, and I was the, uh, little league wrestling president. So I had obligations of, that, of that, course you were. that prevented me from doing that <laughs> because I'm a people pleaser. And someone asked me if I wanted to be that and I'm yes, sure. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So it was a very short lived, um, wild ride, but it was, um, man, just saying yes to everything, mm-hmm. everything. Cause I had always been the good girl always. And I'm like, I'm just going to be the bad girl now. And it's really not all that it's cracked up to be. Right. It's really not. So when did you meet Travis and all this? So funny story. Um, surprise. Travis hasn't told you the story about us meeting. Um, he had just moved back from Arkansas, about a year prior to that. And he grew up in the Choctaw wrestling program. He wrestled and then he coached a little bit after he graduated from high school. And so I actually was the little league president of wrestling. I think even the year before we met, we met in December of 2009 and he, I was working in Woodward and I needed someone. We were hosting a little league wrestling tournament and we had just transitioned from doing on the paper brackets to doing digital meaning mm. excel spreadsheets oh. and so if you think about those two worlds you've got wrestling and you've got um spreadsheets <laughs> if you think about the number of times you might run into someone who can do both of those right who knows how a wrestling tournament operates 
and who knows how um, an Excel spreadsheet operates, they're very few and far between. There's seven in the world. Yes, exactly. Right. So I happen to be one of those, but I'm working in Woodward. And to do this, you have like to prepare for a tournament. You have to be there the Tuesday night, the Wednesday night, the Thursday night, the Friday night of the Saturday tournament. And Obviously, that's not feasible. Woodward's almost a three-hour one-way drive for me, and it's not feasible to go to Oregon Woodward and come home every night and go back. And so I was talking to um, the high school wrestling um, coach's wife, and she's like, well, there's this guy, Travis, who has an MBA, and I think he's a business guy, and he probably knows about spreadsheets. So why don't you why don't you call him? And he, you know, he grew up in wrestling. I'm like, okay. So and I had seen him in the wrestling room from time to time. His kids, his kids was younger, and his they were called novice, and mm-hmm. then my son was open, and so they didn't ever cross in practice. But so we didn't really ever have any conversations. But anyways, I called him from Woodward and said, like Teresa gave me his phone number, and I called him. I was like, hey, you think you could do this? He's like, yeah, but you have to go on a date with me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, sh- sure, whatever. Look I'll, at this I'll, guy. Yes. So I said yes to that because I needed this done. <laughs> and I had no intentions of going on it. Like, I liked my life like it was, and I didn't need to go on a date with anybody. Yeah. And um, But somehow, after the tournament, that very Saturday, the tournament went over until like 10 o'clock. And we had been up there since 5 in the morning. And they're so long. And I was so exhausted. And I was sleeping the floor. And Teresa's like, hey, we're going to go. Um, we're going to go to Hudson's over here after. And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm going home. She's like, no, just come. Just come. Just come with me. I'm like, fine. Well, I'll, I'll go and I'll stay for 20 minutes or whatever. So I get there and Travis is there. But Teresa drove Travis. And then Teresa left without right. saying goodbye mm. to anybody. And so I get tasked with taking Travis home. So are you friends with Teresa still? Yes, actually. I do love her. Um, she loves Travis and she loves me. So, yeah. So that's that's the beginning of How it. How about that? Yeah, that was December 12th of 2009. And then in uh, April of 2010, we went to England together to see my brother. Hmm. So. That's crazy. Yeah. I think we built three companies while we were in England for 10 days. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's I'm what we do. That's on road trips. That's kind of what we do. Well, tell me about that. Um, about the trip to building, England or the building companies. Building companies. So um, like? he grew up in plumbing, heat, and air, and he was working as a subcontractor or a contract for for a construction, um, commercial construction guy. And he's like, I used to do this. And he's like, so we just planned it and mapped it out. Like, we'll just get back home and we'll start a plumbing and heat and air company. And I'm like, well, what about oil and gas? And he's like, well, then I guess we can start an oil and gas company. So we started, which I had come from, you know, I did yeah. that. And I had been doing title, title work for mineral title. And um, so we started that one and then we started an operating company where you operate wells and stuff like that. Wow. Um, but it was all on, we had spent a lot of time on trains because when we were, when we were over there, it was spent a lot of time in the airport and the planes and there was just a lot of downtime and it's just conversation back and forth about goals and dreams and what you want to do. And I don't know. And I had never been around anyone like Travis before who, who was so driven, mm-hmm. who was, you say, Hey, I want to do this. And he's like, okay, let's find a way to do it. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I don't understand. Like, and that's how we, when we finally got our first contract in oil and gas, it was, we were at one of my friend's house and we were selling her a heat and air unit. And while I was like, while Travis was doing the the estimate or whatever to do it, I'm talking to her cause she's my friend and we're just catching up. And she's like, Hey, do you know anybody that can do this work for me? And I gave her two or three numbers and she's and every one of them she's like i already called them there's a conflict of interest mm-hmm. and and so we landed it as like nothing like 
I don't know. Can't help you. Sorry. And then afterwards, she's like, let's go to dinner. So we get in the car. Travis and I get in our car and she's in her car leading us because we're in Tulsa and we don't know anything about Tulsa. And Travis is like, when we get to dinner, you're going to tell her that we're going to do that for her. I'm like, we're going to what? <laughs> it's just like he said, we're we're going to take on that contract and we're going to do that work for her. I'm like, how? And he's like, we have already planned for this. We have already set up our company and we're going to do this. I'm like, what? I mean, it just blew my mind. Yeah. And literally at dinner, that's what we told her. And we operated. We worked for that company for two years. Hmm. Um, they were our biggest client. And like, but that's just who he is. Yeah. You know, there's no reservations with him. Yeah. Um, he's fun, man. Yeah, he's I, awesome. I really enjoy um, anytime we he and I get to sit down and talk because uh, you're right. There's not a lot of people like him. No. And uh, and I relate to a lot of his impulse. And then, uh, so it's good. I don't feel alone a lot of times. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, so so uh, when did you like your walk with the Lord? Let's talk a little okay. bit about that. So. When did you enter into that relationship with, with the Lord? And then, uh, you know, let's talk about kind of the overview of what that looks like. So my first husband's dad is a pastor of a church in Guthrie. And that was the, I did not grow up in the church at all. I avoided people that wanted to talk to me about the Lord and about coming to their church. And and I think more because it was foreign and I didn't ever want to be involved in anything that I didn't know about. Sure. I needed to know before I step, stepped in in front of, in front of people. And um, so I was about... My son was, Chris was already born. He, and so I would have been like 24, maybe 25 whenever I first accepted Jesus as uh, my savior. And I was going through some really, really bad stuff. I can still remember sitting in this, it's a teeny tiny old chapel in Guthrie. And I remember sitting there and just, I was feeling guilty and I'm like, I can't live with this guilt anymore. And I just mm-hmm. gave it all to the Lord and, and, and Jesus saved me out of that. And then I went home and I went back to my normal life, mm. um, back to the way we had been living and which it wasn't horrible. It was just, we did, we drank and like, we just didn't live for the Lord at all. And, um, it wasn't until 2011 after about six months after Travis and I were married, we got, we went through some really, really hard stuff, um, with one of our kids and most people would, it would have ended a marriage, mm-hmm. even a first marriage. It didn't, wouldn't even have to be a blended, blended family. But we, one of my friends, um, God bless her, Tracy Scott. And we were at my, our kids were in maybe fifth or sixth grade, our boys, and they were playing football and it was a Saturday. And I was just, for some reason, I just poured out my heart to her and she wrote this name and number on a piece of paper and she handed it to me and she goes, this is my pastor. You need to call him and talk to him. I'm like, I am not calling some strange guy. I don't care if he's a pastor or not, but you are insane. (laughs) But I went, you know, I went home and I told Travis and he's like, well, let's just go to church with her tomorrow. Mm. And we got up and we went to church there tomorrow. I mean, the next day and um, I wore a fancy dress and Travis wore a suit and tie. And uh, and here's even the worst. Like that was the day that um, Children's Hope Chest came. And so all it was was a spill about sponsoring kids in Africa. Like Perfect. that was our very first experience at Heritage Church. <laughs> yeah. And so, but we came back the next week and the next week and we, like we've missed very few Sundays mm. since then. But it wasn't until late 2017 that I literally gave my life to the Lord, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I still struggle with my flesh, you know, wanting to do the things that I want to do from time to time. But, and it it happened after Travis began um, being discipled by Chris Moigs. And then there was a time where he pushed into me and um, again, 
being the like it's the the backside of being a people pleaser is that when you're not doing what you're supposed to you deflect it and so he would he he would ask me every morning he's like what'd you read this morning i'm like i don't want to tell you mm-hmm. um because i begrudgingly read my bible just because i knew he was going to ask me what i was reading yeah. not because i wanted to be in the word um, but then we went to a, a trip to, we went to Nashville to a disciple, disciple makers conference in Nashville, a big group. And I don't know, it was weird. I don't know why I was invited because it was supposed to just people be people that were being discipled in, in that moment. And there was me and two other women who were the spouses of men who were being discipled, but we weren't being discipled, but they, for whatever reason, saw fit to, to invite us along anyway. And that that changed my life that Mm. that trip there were some things that happened that literally transformed like it it showed me a different side of the lord of the gospel and um disciple making and how like just how it all comes together with the lord and the holy spirit and on the way back from there i'm sitting in a 15 passenger van and i'm turning around backwards in my seat and travis is next to me and then behind me is chris moinks and i I don't remember how we got on this conversation but chris just looked me straight in the eyes and he said have you accepted jesus christ as lord and savior of your life and i'm like i don't i don't know that i really have like i've asked him to save me but then i just walked away completely you know And um, he goes, well, you know what to do or something like that. <laughs> and so like literally right there in, the, in in a 15 passenger van on the way back from Nashville, um, I I confessed Jesus as my Lord, mm-hmm. the Lord of my life. And that's a, and, that's um, a difference. I think a lot yeah. of people listening, uh, especially, you know, in the, the climate we're in, um, they get the idea of salvation. Yes. Um, but Lordship. Yeah. Those I are, think is, is the thing. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Um, it's, it's hard. It's, it's being humble. Like one of the, one of my sins that, that was, it took a lot to be revealed to me. Like there are some sins that are really hard to re to be revealed to ourselves. And mine was, um, I always saw, um, it was, I would, it would come across as being self-sacrificing, but it's Mm self-righteousness. Like I would, I self-sacrifice just so I could hear people tell me how awesome I was. Right. Not like, I know the Bible says that you need to lay down your life for people. I knew that, but that's not why I was doing it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing that stuff for the Lord. And, um, that was the, then that happened probably six months after, after making Jesus the Lord of my life. And then, it was actually a conversation I had with Priscilla Glenn and it was um, during first service. She and I were sitting out in the lobby during first service and um, she looked at me and she's like, Lori, who told you that you're responsible for saving everybody? And I'm like, well, someone obviously told me that because I've believed that <laughs> since I was a little girl. So obviously someone told me, I don't know who it was. Um, but that was, that's all Priscilla had to say to me. And then during worship, during second service, it hit me. I, I, I am the Lord of my life and I'm trying to be the Lord of everyone else's life around me. I'm Mm. trying to save all these people. I am literally trying to walk in Jesus's shoes, not walk behind him and not walk beside him. But like, I am literally trying to be Jesus. Mm. And that was the grossest feeling ever. Mm. And then I'm like, who am I to think that I'm Jesus? And, um, I started bawling right there. I was like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) And I had to walk over and, and hug Priscilla. And, um, but like literally that for me, that, that realization, um, that bringing that sin into the light, that sin of self-righteousness, that, 
looks to so many people like it's not self-righteousness, but right. it literally was. Um, and that's, that's probably been one of one, that's one of the, been one of the biggest pillars of faith for me is, is that the Lord can reveal those things and, and then he gives you the power to, to overcome it, hmm. you know? So that's powerful. Yeah. It was, it was pretty crazy. So, man, that's good. Good job. <laughs> I'm excited for you on that. That's yeah. neat. So, uh, how has that, how has that shaped your moving forward? How has that shaped your outlook? And, um, it has allowed me to, to speak truth into people mm. instead of being the people pleaser. Like I still am a people pleaser at heart. Um, uh, but instead of trying to sugarcoat things, I'll just avoid you. <laughs> 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 no, but, but it's been like, it's, it's impacted my marriage with Travis. Like there are so many times that Travis gets frustrated with me because I won't tell him the truth because I'm like about stupid piddly stuff Mm -hmm. because I'm afraid he'll get upset. Mm -hmm. And he's like, why don't you just own what you did? And like half the time, it's not even anything he gets mad about, but I'm so that there's that fear of disapproval from him, you know, and wanting to, wanting to please him. And so that's probably been one of the biggest ways is like, I just own it. Like Mm -hmm. if I, if I spent $5 on a coffee, I'm going to own it. Hey, I spent $5 on a coffee and it tasted great, you know? And if he gets mad, I'm like, okay, maybe next time I need to call you if I'm going to, I mean, that's a lot for a stinking cup of coffee. $5 is. is a lot, you it know? It is, but you know, sometimes a $5 cup of coffee can taste like a $12 cup that's of coffee. That's exactly right. And then you got a great deal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> then you got a bargain. And who can argue with you? Cause yeah, it's already gone. You've a, tasted it. That's exactly right. But that's the cool thing. It's hard for me to see that with Travis is that's how he is he's like listen if you screw up just own it and then we figure out how to not do it again like he he doesn't hold these grudges or any like there is none of that and i don't know where that fear comes from Hmm. um but i've always had that fear it's fear of disappointing other people um so that is Hmm. that is lessened now um in all my relationships i'm able to speak truth in the women that i disciple and my sisters that were discipled with me and um to my my brothers and you know it's, you, it's been freeing it sounds uh as i hear that it sounds like identity has yeah. been really clarified yes you know, when you yes. know who you are you yes. lose a lot of that fear yes yeah now i don't have to own what happens with what i give to them mm-hmm. like if i give someone truth or if i say hey they that might not be the way you need to be walk the path you need to be walking down I'm not the one responsible for whether or not they walk down it or not. Mm-hmm. Like if they, if they change their mind, great. It's still not on me. Right. You know, so that, that's been huge for mm. me. What's uh what's your life in, or your, your goal in life? What do you want to see happen? Like, I'm sure that's uh, and I don't want it to be reductive, but I'm just saying like, what's the central theme that really drives you these days? Oh, I think probably making sure that people know they don't have to be stuck where they are. Hmm. I think that's, that's huge. Um, specifically for me would be women. And I think we talked about this earlier, women that think they're stuck in a corporate world and they, they see their, their life flying by them. And you know, that that's huge for me. Like they're, you don't have to live your life like that. Um, if you're in addiction, there are ways out of that. Like it, it's whatever it is, like there is a way out. There's always a way out that you don't have to continue down this road of destruction. Hmm. So that's real. Yeah. Um, so hundred years from now, you're probably dead. Probably. I hope so. Uh, 
(laughs) (laughs) What is it that you would hope that people would say about Lori Evans? Mm. What would they would remember about you? That's a good question. Uh, That I love them well. Mm. I think that's it. Hmm. Who's been your biggest role models in that? Oh, my grandfather. Um, My grandfather was an alcoholic. Um, There's not a lot of people that liked him. Hmm. And um, he did some, you know, he was abusive to my, to my mom and my aunt and my uncle and to my grandmother. And he'd spent up all night at the bars and, but I didn't know him then. And, uh, and I, I don't know why, like he, he just loved me well. And, and, uh, I enjoyed listening to his stories. Like he never ran out of words. And then when he was about 72, maybe 70, he quit drinking cold Turkey after he, he, so he had already been diagnosed with schizophrenia, mm. but he went to watch my, his nephew preach at a church in Northwestern Arkansas. And he might like on the way home, driving home from Arkansas, my grandma asked him why it was so quiet. Because like I said, he was never quiet. And he had, it finally, he told her he wanted to quit drinking and she's like, whatever, we've been here, done that. But, um, but he did, he quit cold Turkey. I don't, I don't know how he didn't have like DTs, like withdrawal, like, I don't know, but he claims that while he was in church, he saw Jesus float through the stained glass window and sit next to him and just sat there hmm. and then floated right back out. And at that time, um, I don't, I don't think I had been saved at that time. And so I still, that seems so crazy and far-fetched. I'm like, okay, he's hallucinating again. <laughs> um, but as I've gotten older, I'm like, that was so real, you know, like, like he, he got to witness Jesus and that's what transformed his life. And he spent the next, next few years, um, trying to almost apologize to anyone and everyone that he could for the things that he'd done to them. And, uh, like it, it just shows that you're never too old to change your mind and believe the good news, like mm. never too old. That's fantastic. Yeah. So this, uh, you have this platform here and I just assume we have millions of listeners. Uh, yeah, we do. Know, so. Um, well, now that I'm on here, we're going to. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yes, like, exactly. You know, that helps yeah. tremendously. Yeah. So you have this platform. What would you say to those millions of people right now? What's the one thing you want them to hear? I think it goes back to to what I said earlier. It's like you're not stuck. Like yeah. like the enemy would have you think that you are stuck and that there's no way out. But there is. Um, I'm like they can call me like, heck, I, I might not be the way out, but I can help you find it, you yeah. know. I can lead you to the resources. There's always a resource out there. Mm. You just got to be willing to hear it. That's awesome. I appreciate your heart so much. Your transparency today was fantastic, especially because I didn't, you know, I don't know. This is my favorite time. So for those listening, um, Lori and I did talk, we've talked before, obviously, but uh, we talked probably for the longest before we even did the podcast. And um, uh, I'm always really genuinely excited to hear some thing because I learned so much. This is not even fair to do be on my side because I feel like <laughs> I'm getting just tons of wisdom all the time from people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thank you for that. You're welcome. And uh, thank you all for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed it, thank you. And I'm glad. 
<laughs> you can always get more uh, of this show. You can subscribe to the um, uh, on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. I don't know. Just pick one. You can find it. Um, and yeah, if you want to find more podcasts like these, go to stringgrace.com. Thanks again for listening. God bless you guys. And hey, we'll see you next time. Just